Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. everyone, this is your host Kelly from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. The Storytellers Live team is continually praying and brainstorming about how we can best serve and encourage our communities and podcast listeners. And so if you haven't already taken the brief survey on our website, and thank you to all of you who have, we would so appreciate it if you would take just a few moments to go to storytellerslive.org. And we have a very short survey, takes probably less than two minutes. And the information that we gather from it will just be really helpful to us as we plan for the future. Our story today is about both loss and miracles. Robin, our storyteller, has experienced the highs and lows, but what has remained constant is her choice, a conscious choice to trust the Lord and expect good things. And sometimes that's meant surrendering to God all of her confusion, sadness, and anger in order to make that choice. But through her grief, the value of life and relationships has become magnified for Robin, and choosing hope has brought healing and deeper faith. Her story shows us that miracles and loss both have the power to bring joy. Here's Robin. I'm honored to be here. Uh, I was introduced to Storytellers a couple of months ago and have listened to several of the podcasts, and it has been an encouragement to me. Um, Connecting with other women who have gone through similar stuff has been um, very healing to me. And so I'm happy to share if that can do it for someone else. Um, I'll tell you just a little bit about myself. I am from Montgomery. Uh, I have one older sister, Rachel, who is here with me today. She is um, my best friend. We're real close. And I'll probably try not to make eye contact with her because <laughs> she'll make me cry because um, she'll probably be crying over there. But um, but we're real close, and she has always been a big um, support of mine, especially in the last couple years. And, and my mom is here, Ginger. Uh, we call her OZ for overzealous. <laughs> Because she loves her family over the top. She will bend over backwards for us and loves us um, so much. And uh, my dad, he was planning on coming today until I told him it was a women's event. Um, so he'll, he'll listen to the replay. Um, but I have a wonderful family and um, only wonderful memories from my childhood. Um, I met my husband, Clint, um, in 2007 just a few days after I graduated from college, and we dated for four years, and then we got married, and Clint is nine years older than me, so about 10 months into our marriage, we decided to start a family, 
And so I got pregnant pretty quickly and had a healthy pregnancy. And our son Leland was born January of 2013. Uh, And we love our boy. He is so sweet. Like I said, I had a healthy pregnancy with him and he was a healthy baby. And um, God knew what he was doing when he gave us a boy because um, my husband is an amazing boy dad. And He's just so special to us. And, you know, when you're first-time parents and you just experience that, just the overwhelming, just all-consuming love that you've never felt before, um, we were just that way. And so you can imagine how excited we were 14 months later when we found out we were expecting again. Um, I specifically remember praying for the gender of the baby. Um, we wanted two kids. And so I, I really wanted a little girl. And I remember praying, making my request known to the Lord that I wanted, um, a little girl to complete our family, but that I really desired his will over my will. And I trusted him with the details on that. I remember just praying that, um, a lot before we found out that, um, that we were having a little girl. Um, I was pregnant with two of my very best friends, which was fun. Um, I don't know if any of you are, are planners, but um, I'm a big planner. And when we found out we were all expecting, we started, I mean, in my mind, I was just planning these many best friends and play dates and um, probably some matching outfits. And um, <laughs> we just got excited. And um, that was just fun sharing a pregnancy together. So. Um, We decided to name her Evelyn Rose after my grandmother and my sister. And um, my pregnancy with her was pretty healthy Um, until about 28 or 30 weeks. I started having some pain in the upper right quadrant of my abdomen. And um, I felt very full all the time. I couldn't eat or I really couldn't drink enough water and that's what bothered me and so um, I mentioned it to my doctor and he thought everything was fine so I thought everything was fine too so I just tried to manage the pain and if anybody that was close to me knew how much pain I was in and uh Let me come back to my notes here because that might help me. <laughs> it, it, when, it, the, when the pain started, it really didn't alarm me too bad. Um, and, and the fact that my doctor thought I was fine and everything was checking out good, um, you know, I just trusted that. But I remember um, telling my mother-in-law one day that my stomach felt like it was going to pop. It was so tight. And um, I don't even remember what she said to that. But, you know, I tried not to complain. You know, who wants to be around somebody that's complaining? And I was so grateful to be pregnant. I had friends that, you know, wanted to be pregnant. And I knew what a a blessing it was. Um, So I even went to triage one day and spent some time, about six hours, in um, in the hospital. They gave me an IV and, you know, checked me out. They did. They did an ultrasound on my gallbladder. They thought, you know, maybe that's what it was, but they sent me home. They did not do an ultrasound on the baby. Um, So anyway, I went home, and um, at 34 weeks, my water broke at home. And my husband, Clint, took me to the hospital, and, you know, I was 
little nervous about it being early, but I was um, really relieved because I was in so much pain. So um, I had to have an emergency C-section after laboring several hours because Evelyn was face up and the doctors um, couldn't get her to turn. I remember the operating room being unusually quiet and um, looking up at my husband and asking if she was out yet. And he um, had a very concerned look on his face, but he told me that she was. And, um, you know, I asked why she wasn't crying. And he said that they were working on her and that everything was going to be okay. Just let's just stay calm. And so I just laid there, you know, while they're working on me. And I kind of knew something was wrong, but I thought, you know, she's just going to have to go to the NICU. You know, she's born at 34 weeks, so she's early. So Clint steps out of the room, and um, they were asking him to sign some papers, uh, release papers, so that they could take her to a different hospital that had more sophisticated care for her. And um, I'll wait to show you that. I brought some pictures, but... Um, so I laid there, you know, I had a sweet little anesthesiologist that stayed right by my head and um, while they sewed me up and I tried to stay calm. And I made it to recovery before I knew what was going on. Um, a doctor brought her into the room. And um, when you envision seeing your baby for the first time and looking into their eyes and, you know, doing that skin to skin and all those sweet little moments, pictures, um, that's not what I saw. I did, I couldn't even look into her eyes. They were so swollen and they were black and blue and her whole body looked that way. It was really a frightening sight. I brought a picture to show you and I'll pass that around and the only reason I'm it's a very hard picture to look at but I just wanted you to see she was you know five and a half weeks preterm and she was 10 pounds and 11 ounces and um, she was in an enclosed crib but I was able to reach in and touch her hand and then they had to get her quickly and put her in a baby ambulance and take her to the other hospital she only lived for um, a day and a half. She had non-immune high drops. It's uh, very complicated, very rare, but she had a life-threatening amount of fluid around her heart and her lungs. Clint, my husband, was by her side, vigorously declaring life over her and pleading with God for a miracle when she took her last breath. I was in the hospital across town, and they called to let me know that they were doing chest compressions on her and rapidly released me from the hospital, and I had someone drive me over. Um, but I didn't make it in time to, to be with her. But he was right there, and that's something that they share. I got off the elevator, and he walked towards me, and, you know, I could tell that I hadn't made it, and um, he just hit his knees and and told me that she had not survived. And um, you see, I, I wasn't even crying on the way to the hospital. I mean, the person, the sweet friend that drove me 
because all of my family was at the other hospital, um, she probably thought I was crazy because I was not reacting in a way that somebody in this situation would probably react. I had complete confidence that the Lord was about to perform a miracle. Um, I just had complete certainty. I believed um, in the verse from Mark eleven twenty four that says, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you will receive it, it will be yours. And I've never had more confidence in believing for something. I knew it was important to believe what I prayed. And that was my prayer. And I just, I just knew the Lord was going to save her. I, I, and so, you know, when, when he didn't, um, that was just a shock. Um, in that moment in the hospital, I, I can't even tell you really how I felt because I felt like this was just kind of playing out. This was not real. This is, is this really happening? You know, I was just kind of in a state of shock. My, my family was there and we were able to go into a private room with her and hold her and spend some time together. And there weren't many words, but, um, you know, I was just so unprepared for that. I was telling my sister this morning that there are things that I wish I would have done. Um, not that I regret, but like maybe, um, having her baptized or, or something, you know, our pastor was there, he was outside the door and but you're just in that moment that you never expect anything like this to happen to you. So you haven't thought it through. What would I do if something like this happened? So um, we had time with her and then we had to give her back. And um, reality set in pretty quickly as we went home, you know, empty handed and the days and weeks and months and years after that, um, you know, we had her nursery all prepared at home, and um, we had to make decisions on her funeral and things with her body, you know, whether to have her buried or cremated, just all of those hard decisions. And um, so the reality of that was, was very difficult. I was very private with my grief. Um, I didn't want to be around anybody or tell them how I was feeling because they couldn't identify I didn't really want a pity party. I didn't want people to tell me they were sorry for me because they, I knew they were sorry for me. I was sorry for me, but it just hurt. You know, their lives were going along as planned and mine was broken and I had all this unbearable grief. Uh, material things just did not mean anything to me anymore. In fact, it hurt to watch people put value on those things. And they probably didn't mean to. Um, but the value of life and relationships were magnified to me, as they should be. Um, but I just I remember standing in the shower. I would stand in the shower with the just hot heat just steaming on my face and just wish that I could just melt or just escape for a little while from just the the heaviness that was with me all the time. Um, I had a 22-month-old son at the time, and so I had to pick up and move forward. And he brought me so much joy, and he really is what kept me going. Um, 
I lived the first year after Evelyn went to heaven just by going through the motions. I had to make a conscious choice not to be led by my feelings, but make the choice to have hope and to trust God and to be expectant of good things in my life. Um, And this is really what my story is all about. This is where God met me and gave me courage and strength to choose. One example of that, I had mentioned that I was pregnant with two of my very best friends. And so Evelyn was born about a month early. So after about a month, my friend had her baby. And um, I made the choice to go see her in the hospital. And my friend Layton is here who actually picked me up that day and took me. And I didn't cry that day. And I I probably made everybody really uncomfortable. But um, it was a choice. I knew I was I was happy for my friend. Um, It was very painful and very hard, but it it was just a choice. I made choices to do these things. I just made the choice to get up and, and go to church and praise God, even though I I had a lot of questions, you know, and things I didn't understand. Um, Grief was hard because I was in a situation that nobody could fix for me. And so far in life, if my parents couldn't fix something or if my husband couldn't fix something, um, my older sister could. (laughs) And this was something I had to walk through alone or I could walk through it with God. Um, So I chose to walk through it with God. It was my choice. I found comfort in so many different scriptures. But the one on your card today is Psalms 50, 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. That was my promise, that if I would rely on God, He would restore my brokenness, and I would give Him all the glory. Um, We never found out a cause for why Evelyn had high drops. There are a lot of causes, but all of those have been ruled out. We did as much testing as we could on her body, and then we didn't have that. But my husband and I um, came up here to Birmingham and did testing with genetics and ran all the possible panels that we could, and they didn't have an answer for us. So I, I blamed myself a lot. Um, my doctor thought that maybe I had gotten an infection that had crossed the placenta. So I thought, well, maybe I, I, I didn't wash my hands or, you know, I did something. It, it was me. I had to have an answer. I just felt like I needed an answer. I thought if, if that wasn't it, you know, maybe this, this is a punishment for bad choices that I've made, um, in my youth or something. I, um, I carried that weight for her death for um, about a year until, um, like I said, about a year after she went to heaven, I received God's message of grace through a friend's, another friend's similar loss. And um, as hard as it was to watch that happen to her and for her to experience what, what I had been through because um, of anybody, she didn't deserve it. God used that to um, show me that Evelyn's death was not my fault. 
So that was a big moment where that was taken off of me. Um, all of the doctors and geneticists had agreed that it would be extraordinarily rare for high drops to reoccur. So they said we could go ahead and try to get pregnant again. And um, I was really eager to do that. So I did get pregnant. Um, but that pregnancy ended in a brutal miscarriage. Um, but five months later, I was pregnant for the fourth time. And this time things went well. I was monitored very closely. We found out we were having a girl, Virginia May. And um, my pregnancy with her was healthy um, until about 28 weeks. My doctor in Montgomery spotted uh, some fluid on her lungs and sent us up to Birmingham to maternal fetal medicine. Um, this was very hard. We were, felt like we were just getting our feet under us, and we thought that we were about to walk into this season, this refreshing season that was going to bring so much joy. And then we get this report, and it, it just brought us down because we knew the severity of the situation. Um, we knew what it could turn out to be. And in the beginning, it was just considered a bilateral pleural effusion. It's a big word, but it's just... Um, fluid, a little bit of fluid around her lungs, and I had heard some encouraging stories, so I was hopeful. Um, but it was pretty rough to get the news about the the fluid. So I want to tell you um, something that happened that night when I got the report from the doctor. I came home that afternoon and just had a, you know, I was upset, and then that night I put my son to bed. He was two put into bed in his in his room and I came back in the den and I was just trying to process everything that had happened that day and from the back of the house I hear a really small two-year-old voice singing there is power in the name of Jesus he sang that line I'm not going to sing it to you I'm going to spare you from my singing <laughs> but he sang that line over and over and God must have known that's what I needed to hear it it was so powerful to me because I know the song, but it's not a song I had on my phone or a playlist, not one that I played in the car. He very well could have heard it at church, but I didn't know that he knew that song and never again could I get him to sing it. Um, but he sang that over and over, and that that was God speaking to me through through my little boy. And that night, I went to bed, and I was scared, but um, I felt very firm in my belief that there's power in the name of Jesus. So um, the medical team at, at UAB made a joint decision that delivering Virginia at 34 weeks would give her the best chance of survival. And that's when Evelyn was born, too. You know, my water broke on its own. So um, in the weeks leading up to her birth, I was monitored really closely. I was given steroid injections to help with her lungs. And we were talking with doctors about what would take place um, after her birth. And each one of them wanted to be very clear with us that the chance of, you know, her survival was uncertain. And if she did survive, that her condition was unpredictable. One doctor even told us that high drops plus prematurity um, was a death sentence. And I know that sounds really cruel, and it was very hard to hear, but 
they were just trying to prepare us with um, real expectations, and I knew that. They told us to hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst. Um, so we're spending these days and weeks with that kind of news. And, uh, you know, I, I would rebuke it and, and pray life over her. Um, but it was so hard to pray this time because I had prayed and I had believed with my whole heart when I prayed these prayers for Evelyn. And so now um, it was hard. It was hard to believe, but I was doing everything I could to believe because I knew I had to believe. And um my sister has a really close friend. She's a good friend of mine, too. And she started a Facebook page called Praying for Virginia. And it grew to about 1,100 people that surrounded us and prayed. And it was so comforting to know that I had people praying when I didn't have the words. I relied on those prayers a lot. Um, and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, I, you know, when I didn't have anything to say, I just... Ask the Lord to have, have the Holy Spirit intercede and um, help me to believe for, that my girl will will survive. And and everything was uncertain what what it would look like afterwards. And so um, let's see. Virginia was born June twenty eighth. 2016, weighing nine pounds and nine ounces, six weeks preterm. She looked a lot like Evelyn did. She weighed a little bit less. Um, and I have to add that my cousin shared with me later that there was a double rainbow over Dolphin Island that morning, which is very significant to her story. Virginia was very swollen and in critical condition, um, and I remember looking over my left shoulder and watching them rush her out of the room in, like, this big blue tarp and, you know, asking, is she alive? Um, and my husband didn't know, but they, they told me quickly that she was, and they, were, they took her to work on her. Um, so to make a very long story short, Virginia spent eight weeks, 52 days, in the UAB NICU. Um, and another side note, while I was in Birmingham staying um, in an apartment here, we saw eight rainbows over the sky in those eight weeks. Um, she was intubated for the first four weeks of her life and heavily sedated much of that time. She had chest tubes in both sides of her lungs, draining a massive amount of fluid. Um, she had these adult chambers that hung below her bed where they would, you know, collect the fluid. She was very sick, and no one could tell me if she was going to survive or not. It was a roller coaster of moments of hope and emergency situations that left us feeling defeated. Um, she turned a corner at one month. They were able to take the, the tube out of her throat, and I heard her cry for the first time, which you don't think about hearing your baby cry as a good thing, but we have never heard a better wail. Um, we've got it on video, and um, because before, I, before she had the tube out, she would cry, but there would be no noise. So that was just wonderful to hear. Um, and she continued to heal with no explanation. We had an amazing team of um, angels, I mean, doctors and nurses, 
who um, were there that helped sustain her life. Um, but as for her healing, that cannot be explained. Um, I have one doctor that came by my room. It wasn't her main doctor, but he was coming by to check on her. And he said, you know, we make plans for these babies, but sometimes there's a bigger plan. And I, I was starting to have to have hope that we were going to take her home. Um, I know that her healing was an answer to prayer um, and the flood of prayers that were prayed by all of our friends and family and even people that we didn't know. God answered our prayer for complete healing and Virginia was discharged from the hospital just shy of two months old, weighing six pounds and four ounces. Um, so through all the, the ups and downs of, of the last five years, I have just learned that life um, is a journey that involves great blessings and deep sorrows, and we can only take it one day at a time. I'm never going to reach an age or a status where all of my problems are behind me. I know because something has happened to me that I never thought would happen that I'm not excluded. You know, there can be any point in my life when something devastating can happen like that. And I can't live in fear. I can't let that fear creep in or get a foothold. I have to trust the Lord. I have to make that choice when it doesn't feel right to trust Him and to expect good things um, and to consider just to consider the joy that might be found in in trials, because I know they're going to come. The Bible promises us that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Um, So I'm still learning to surrender all of my confusion and sadness and anger and rest in the promise that God is going to use my adversity to produce a deeper faith and bring me a joy that might only be available through ashes. And I don't have to understand that his plan is too big. I just have to trust him. So I want to share um, one last thing. Um, I've been reading this book called The Turquoise Table, and it's actually about hospitality and community. But um, there is a chapter that talks about the broken table, and it relates that to our lives. And I read this paragraph yesterday morning, and when I read it, I thought that's what Storytellers is. It says, We will never be fully ready or prepared for brokenness. God will heal our broken hearts, but we must give Him all the pieces. He never promises to fix our hardships, but He does promise to be with us always. Emmanuel even in or especially in our brokenness. And he gives us the gift of one another to work it out in community. And um, I just thought that was storytellers when I read that. I'm so, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share and just to connect with other women. So. Very good. Thank you so much. <laughs> We have a little time, so if anybody has a question for Robin, I did not just bring this on her, we did talk about it. So um, if you have a question, feel free to ask. Um, she's willing to discuss and answer your questions. So anybody? Nope. 
Do you mind sharing the pictures? Of yes. Now yes, I've got some pictures. She is two and a half. She'll be three this summer on June 28th. This is her with her bun bun. And this is a picture of me with both of my children, Leland, who is six, and Virginia, who's two and a half. And then this is her on her first day of preschool. I'll pass one this way. No. Okay. Mm-mm. He was not. So does she have any issues now at all? Like, is there any evidence? Is there Are there follow-up doctors? She has no residual effects of what she went through. We did have some follow-ups with, you know, um, neurology and pulmonology here in Birmingham, but she has been released. She's a miracle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope the story made sense of everything that happened because there was a lot, you know, it's kind of confusing, um, you know, with the two different births and just the diagnosis. It, that's why I wanted to bring the pictures just so you could see, you know, how sick she was. And I know it's kind of hard to look at, so I hope that wasn't offensive to anybody. But What were some meaningful things people did and have continued to do to remember Evelyn? Mm-hmm. Um, really just bringing her name up and talking about her uh, and not being afraid to to do that. Um, help me think, Ray, what... Um, the cards, the, the scripture cards. Uh, that we did with Virginia in the hospital mm-hmm. that recently. Oh, yeah. Um, whenever I sent those prayer cards in Virginia, and mm-hmm. that, that was significant. Okay. Um, when you were in the hospital, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, well, there's what was what happened that day at church when Leland, they were leaving church, and Leland said something about Evelyn. Yeah. I was just. Did you ask what um, what people had done to help remember her? Yeah, just what feels good to you. Mm-hmm. You know, she is still a part of your family. Yeah. So what feels good? Just to continue to talk about her. You know, my son was only 22 months, and that's one thing that I brought up with my sister is that I wish that I had brought him in there to see her, and I wish I had a picture of them together. But, you know, he was very young, and I didn't want it to scare him. You know, that's not what a baby typically looks like, and so we didn't. And I don't think that was the wrong decision. Um, But I continue to to talk about her with him and pray um, to her so that, he knows that she she was real and she's a part of our family and it's not just a story. Um, and we talk about heaven and it it has caused a lot of different um, emotions and feelings for him. You know, he wants to know, just like you said about your little girl, when everybody is going to die and um, when he is going to die. And, um, you know, he was he was scared for a long time to talk about that. But I think just just talking about her, and we have um, like a watercolor in our house. It's a picture from when we got to spend some time with her in that room. Um, the lighting and stuff wasn't very good, and of course, you know, she's so um, 
black and blue and everything. The picture is kind of hurtful. So we made, we had a watercolor done and that's in our house. And uh, we've got some of her things and we, uh, we actually had these candle holders made from the flowers from her funeral. And a lot of times when we have family events like Thanksgiving or something, um, since she's not there, we light the candle for her so that she can be part. And my, if we have it at my mom's or my sister's, they have one too. <laughs> and they are always good about lighting that candle and, and putting it somewhere so that she's there, her memory is there. Um, so... Mom and I was just going to say that the thing that you said about it's a choice is so powerful mm-hmm. because you could have chosen a different path. Mm-hmm. Even though you emotionally felt that different path, you chose to believe. And that even in the midst of it, that God had a plan. And I just think that's a powerful statement. It's not your feelings lie to you so much. And what you were feeling was real mm-hmm. and all that, but you chose to believe Him even in the worst of it. And so I just... I think that's so powerful. Yeah, that that that's it. Because you don't feel like anything's normal. Going to the grocery store does not feel normal. You know, nothing feels normal when you have something happen to you like that. So you just decide. You just make a choice, and that and that's just what you're going to do. And um, and eventually, you know, I mean, they say fake it till you make it. <laughs> Eventually, it's all going to come full circle. When um, Evelyn was inside and you told your mother and mom about the pop, Mm -hmm. did the doctor not have a clue how big she was going to be? That's a question that I have, too. Um, I wish that, you know, looking back, that I had maybe said something, you know, pushed a little bit harder, but I pushed pretty hard. I mean, I, I called the nurse. I was talking to nurses on the phone. I went in, they were measuring me and I was measuring fine. They would listen to her heart. It sounded fine. Um, so I just had to trust that, you know, he had told me that it, the second pregnancy would be a little bit more painful. And my mom was with me on, on a visit to the doctor and um, I remember asking if I could go to a chiropractor, and I did. I was really scared because I was very big, and I don't typically go to the chiropractor. But I did go have an adjustment, and that helped a little bit. Um, but they they was, they had no idea. In fact, when they did my C-section, um, they gave me a normal little incision, and then I had this little emergency incision to the side because she was so big. I mean, they did not know till we were in there. And... I felt like that's, it was kind of probably a scramble with just the medical team trying to do anything they could because they weren't prepared. Mm -hmm. I have a question. So, um, what's it like living with a miracle? (laughs) (laughs) Everything is a miracle. (laughs) Everything your child does, you know, you're just in awe of it. They can, you know, do anything silly and you just think it's amazing and they're so smart but every time she does it I feel like it's just amplified we're like you are just amazing you're just right on thank you God over and over when I put her to bed I I thank God for her life I thank God for the people that prayed for her Uh, I can't believe that he did this for me sometimes you know that was a prayer that I had when she was in the hospital you know Lord 
if, if it's your will, you know, save her. I want, you know, and, and if you do, I will do anything. I, if you give me an opportunity to speak, I'll go speak. If you want me to go out in the mission field, you know, I'll do it. Just make it clear to me. But yeah, everything she does, we think is just amazing. She's right on target with all, you know, every other kid in her class and she's real spunky. She loves to sing and, um, she brings our family a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten to connect with any other families that have children that have made it with the same diagnosis? Not with the same diagnosis. I mean, I'm a part of a support group on Facebook and have messaged with people some when they have some questions. I do post stuff there from time to time to try to give people hope. Like on her birthday, I'll, I'll post and sometimes you know, have people message me, but I've never really sat down with anybody. Mm-hmm. Somebody else? Oh, do you mind sharing a little bit about the Footprints Ministry and how they were involved? Mm-hmm. So when Virginia was, we were coming up here to have Virginia, uh, we live in Montgomery, and we didn't really know if we were going to be here in the hospital for two nights or three nights or six months. Um, and I was so overwhelmed with everything going on that I didn't even have a game plan. I don't even remember thinking about it. Um, but my family had connected with Footprints Ministry. Um, Footprints in Montgomery, they also have a campus in, in Huntsville, but Footprints helps families that are, have babies in the NICU. They just support them in many different ways. Um, so we have a friend that actually started it, and she was actually the one who was visiting me in the hospital when Evelyn was born. My whole family was over at the other hospital. Kim came to visit me. She didn't know me, but she was bringing me a little bag that had some things in it that Footprints delivers to families with babies in the NICU. So she was with me. And when I got the call that Evelyn was, they were doing chest compressions on her and Kim drove me to the other hospital. We do have, um, I was actually very close friends with her cousin, so I knew and trusted her. (laughs) But yeah, she drove me to the other hospital. So she's been a very close friend to us and just big part of both of my girls' stories. Um, But Kim got involved and she knew... um, Miss Patrice, who has Just Keep Smiling ministry here in Birmingham, and they are connected with Red Mountain Grace here in Birmingham, and through all of them, they got us an apartment uh, to stay in, and so all of those mem- uh, ministries have been a big, a big help to us and encouragement and just really took care of us while we were here. Thank you so much, Robin. Let's give them a yeah. Thank Thanks for joining us for Robin's story. I love the quote that she shared because it reminds us that being able to work out our faith in community with each other and figuring out what it looks like to trust the Lord through the good times and the bad times, that's a gift. And so we hope that you are continuing to enjoy not only the podcast, but also your gatherings in your local communities. And if you are interested in starting Um, a storyteller's gathering in your area and you don't already have one there, then just visit our website, storytellerslive.org, and you can find out more information about starting your own group. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode. So thanks for listening. We so appreciate you, and we hope that you'll join us again soon.